Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast, post-game edition. Uh, Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this one from our homes after we've left a somber and pretty defeated feeling of Watson Stadium. The Oregon Ducks get shocked at home. Double-digit favorites going into this one. They lose 37-34 to the Washington Huskies. This game is officially back to being a true rivalry. Both teams getting gripping victories against their rival um, the last couple of times they've played. And there's a bunch of different ways we could unpack this game because there was 35 points scored in the third quarter combined, uh, almost 500 yards of total offense in that quarter. Um, Offensively, Oregon had nearly 600 yards of offense and lost this game. Dan Laney got burned by some risky play calls uh, that happened in both sets of the half, or both, both halves of this football game. Um, we've got injured players that are key players for Oregon, including Knicks. He came back, but he's clearly hurt. Uh, there's a lot of ways to go here, guys. I think this is a crushing defeat. Playoffs are out of the picture now for Oregon. They're eight and two overall, six and one in conference play. Um, Pac-12 championship game still on the table, but nonetheless, this is a loss. I don't think many people expected to see. It happens at home. Twenty-three game win streak knocked out. And the defense played absolutely terrible. And the offense has a lot of questions about its personnel availability moving forward. Yeah, there are a lot of ways we could go. Uh, <laughs> like, like there, there's a ton of things that took place. It's one of the wilder games I've covered. Um, I know our intern Jackson Noggle asked uh, the three of us when we were getting the elevator on the way down, like, where does that stack up on the misery index? And I said at the time, not particularly high, but the more I thought about it, just in terms of all the things that kind of went wrong at the end of a game, it's not Stanford 2018, but it's pretty tough. That's a pretty tough way to lose a football game for Oregon in terms of being in control. It feels like you're uh, about 10 yards away from making it a two-score game with four minutes to go. You have a bad snap. You go for it. You know, you have a quarterback get injured, which makes it, which takes away the possibility of going for it on fourth, um, which you feel pretty comfortable with, with, with that you probably have a decent chance of uh, of getting the yardage based upon the way that drive had gone. I mean, that drive for Oregon, the 91-yarder, everything was working until the last couple of plays. You get the high snap, and then Nick's on the keeper gets stopped and gets hurt. And uh, there are so many different outcomes for this game if that play, those plays go a little differently. Um, and then the way the game ends with – Giving up a 62-yard touchdown, brutal. I want to I want to get into some of the kind of the 
where do you point the finger on some of that? And then, you know, I know we want to get into some of the decisions, uh, but getting stopped on fourth and basically handing Washington some points, or at least the opportunity to score some points, it's really tough. I mean, this is a, there, there's a lot of things that happened in the last five minutes, and it's a weird one because I think everybody, including some Washington fans, because I like texted with the, with one of my good friends who's a Husky, um, the game felt kind of like it was about to be over midway through that 10-minute drive because Oregon was going to go up 10 points. It felt the way Oregon has finished those drives all season, like that was almost like a foregone conclusion. Like I felt really confident, like, hey, in fact, in my little story, I was already writing like Oregon ends up scoring at the end of the drive after going 99 yards, blah, 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 blah. It felt like that was going to be the outcome right. once it kind of got going because Washington didn't have an answer. And unfortunately, that was one of the bigger – you know, as Lanning said after the game, uh, shoot yourself in the moment, shoot yourself in the foot moments was Alex Forsyth, who's been really reliable as a center, but has had some snap issues this year for whatever reason. I know he's dealing with an injury, a, a really high snap that makes it so that Oregon is now off schedule. They don't lose yardage because Nick gets into the ground, but rather than being the clock. stops the clock gotta, more than anything, they it takes re, the, yeah, they got to regather takes down away. I mean, that's the real thing is it takes it down away where you feel really comfortable that if that play is executed on second, you're looking at third and two, third and three. Shoot, you might have picked up a first down. Regardless, mm-hmm. it slows everything down. So that to me was was a big turning point moment. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know how we want to get through this. Uh, maybe I'll just let Jared give kind of his opening thoughts and we can get to, to some of the other details because as Matt said, there's a lot of things to kind of to go through and some, some second guessing to, to have. And like I said, I think there's a player, unfortunately, in the secondary, who I'm a really big fan of, who, for lack of a better word, really cost the team, I think, more than almost any individual tonight. And that was really hard to see. And so we can get to that in a moment. But, Jared, why don't you kind of open with what you've got? Sure. Yeah. Um, overall, um, really good football game. I'm just, I'll just start there, and I know that people are going to hear that and, and be – be upset because Oregon lost, and here I am saying that it was a good football game. Well, it, it, it was. It was a good football game back and forth, just purely objectively. I, you know, it was a it was a fun game to cover, and unfortunately, you know, Oregon loses, and that, um, you know, brings to an end their college football playoff hopes. Um, and you know, overall, when I kind of sat back and thought about this game, I thought it had I don't know this this game felt very Pac-12, very drunk, very Pac-12, very interesting decision making happening. Um, it, dating all the way back to like the first quarter with what Kalen DeBoer did when he, you know, elected to kick a field goal when it looked like this clearly was an opportunity for them to go up by, you know, two scores and then they get a false start penalty. They go move back five yards. Then there's a, an offsides on Oregon and then they have another opportunity to go kick a field goal and maybe take some points. Boom. Then they go to just to a field goal. Um, I think that this game was all over the place and for all of the indecision by Kalen DeBoer of not going for it on fourth down, um, Dan Lanning said, sure, I'll take all of that. And then Oregon went for it on fourth down oftentimes. Um, and that's just what they do this year. Um, I think, I think we might as well just jump into the decision-making just because that was such a big thing. I don't have too terribly much else to add on add on to just my overall thoughts of the game. Um, other than that, it was just a good college football game in general and, and really upsetting that Oregon lost. But, um, you know, they, they shot themselves in the foot. And I think that's where I'll start with the decision-making. Um, this has been a very aggressive team all season long. Um, Dan Lanning has talked about that ad nauseum. So did 
Candy Dillingham, when we ever got the chance to talk to him, there was going to be an aggressive offense. It's going to be an aggressive team. Um, and they, they were aggressive tonight. Obviously, they had the onside kick in the first half, which I didn't really mind. I thought it was kind of a – yeah, you give Washington the ball at the 50-yard line, but as we saw for the rest of the game, it didn't matter if Washington got the ball at the one-yard line or the 50-yard line. They were going to move the football. Um, but going forward on the fourth down decisions – I really only disagreed with the final one. I think a lot of people did of when Ty Thompson was in the game and they elected to go for it on fourth and one from their own 35. Um, punting, although they don't really have a, tr uh, you know, like a true punter is why it might've been a factor too, but what, what's up, Eric? Well, I, I want, I, here's, here's what I want to ask on the, the, cause I'm in, I'm in agreement. I, I didn't, if Ty Thompson's in the game, I don't understand entirely the play call i mean i know you're probably confident you can get a yard regardless of who's right. the quarterback and we talked on the way back of like did they actually give ty an opportunity to read that play or was that just a run all the way you had a, you had two timeouts bo came on the sideline and the one no it was did two. one timeout wasn't it two some I, my, I, my buddy my buddy I just texted was, me and said, my buddy texted me and said, i thought it was one okay i'm okay. pretty sure it was one Okay, I got it. My, my, a friend of mine texted me and said he had two, but maybe you're right. Regardless, you've got a timeout. Would you have used it to get Bo Nix on the field, who was on the sideline pleading to return? And then how do you feel about the fourth down? If it's just your normal offense there, are you okay with it? Or was this more personnel-driven? Like, how, how does that change? This was, kind of this was personnel-driven. Okay, so you would have you, you would have felt okay with them using the timeout. I'm just trying to clarify, like what Absolutely. we have the issue with. Uh, yeah, no, I, this was a personnel issue. Okay. Yes, I the, the only issue is if you use a timeout, then you don't have a timeout for the rest of the game because I'm I'm almost 100 percent certain that it was only one timeout left at the time. But if Nix is in the game at that given point in time, I feel better because I know that they have had a whole season long of. Bo Nix being able to pass or run an RPO to damn near perfection most of the season or have just the element of, hey, we can actually throw the ball because one thing Ty Thompson has not been able to show this season is that he can, he's able-bodied and willing to throw the ball. And Kenny Dillingham is willing to call a throwing the ball forward play. Um, and because of that, the whole world knew what was coming. And, that, you know, Noah Whitting, Whittington slips. Yes, Eric? It's too, they had too much. They had too Really? They did. They used one timeout to stop the clock right before the Henry field goal, and then they used another one on on a, right before the fourth down play. So they did have two. Not, not a they huge used, thing. I'm just, just clarifying it. They used one before the, the – Right Henry before the Peyton Henry field goal to stop the clock so that Washington didn't take it down further, and then they used a second one on the fourth and 14 play to set that up, according to the box score. Right. But continue. Right. Sorry, I just went, I wanted to clarify that, and that, and, and that actually, to to, to let you kind of know uh, why I bring it up is because when my friend texted me, I thought the same thing. I thought it was one timeout. I think with mm. two timeouts, I find it to be a more of a damning decision to not use one to get Bonix in the game. I actually think that's right. to me might be the biggest coaching error of the game. And there were some questionable calls by by Dan. I just think I would agree. Two, I just two timeouts. That's a little different bring, than one time Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Bo, come, Bo comes over and wants to go in. With Ty in the game, and we talked about this, sorry to steal your point. I just like I just think it's really wanted to break it down. It was like, but 
the defense knew where the ball was going because Ty was never going to keep it. Right. He was never or throw was never, it or do yeah. anything else other than just hand the ball off to whoever was behind him or next to him. Correct. That was it. And he wasn't going under center because Oregon was on their third string center as Alex Forsythe and Ryan Walk were both out of the game. So Jackson Powers Johnson was the center. And that's not saying that Jackson can't play, can't be a center and isn't a good one. It's just the, the amount of repetitions that Ty Thompson and Jackson Powers Johnson have probably isn't that high. Like that combination very rarely comes into fruition. So it just kind of felt like like a perfect storm for that situation. But overall, I, I'm not taking away from what, what Dan does and, and is being aggressive and the onside kick and everything else. We can't, as, as reporters, we can't cheer on Dan's ability to, to be aggressive when it works and be like, yes, this is such a smart play. You know, not, not all Oregon coaches the last couple of years have done this and then go immediately back on it and, and blame him for this type of loss. When these things don't work, this is how the team is going to work. And, you know, it's going to be really great when those, when those really high pressure situations come to fruition and they work and they move the ball down the field and it's going to stink like today when they aren't, are not able to capitalize on those big momentum type of plays. I, I think you can criticize him. And this is one in which he needed to learn this lesson by this happening. And unfortunately, it comes against your bitter rival in a game that you should have won. Because, like you said, you had your backup quarterback who all year has shown no ability to move the football down the field for the offense. You have your starting center out. You have your starting right guard who's also your backup center out. So not only do you have your third string guard, your third string center in, you're also without your original guard and you're playing with two reserved offensive linemen in a high pressure situation where every single person on that field, everyone on that sideline, everyone in that stadium knew Ty Thompson was not going to keep the football. And yet Lanning's logic for why he went for it, it makes complete sense. And he's right that that was the only negative play that Oregon had rushing the football in the second half. And Oregon ran for 181 yards in that second half. They averaged six yards per carry in that second half. But where the coaching growth will need to come from landing is understanding, hey, the numbers say we should go for it, but look at our roster. It's not like – it's current what we have out there offensively right now is not what's been out there the entire half to give us this number that tells us to go for it. Hunt the ball. Yes, Oregon's defense played terrible. And maybe that's the next transition for this conversation. They played out one of the worst performances we've seen in a long time. But I would much rather take my chances that UW has to go 60 yards, 70 yards downfield and put the pressure on. Penix, who hasn't played in a hostile environment, who we clearly saw in that game, the crowd mattered. There was multiple delay of game calls. There was multiple timeouts by Washington to stop a delay of game call. Uh, I felt like Penix got rattled on that interception he threw at the Oregon one, put the ball back in their hands to make the, the, the mistake because we've seen it happen time and time again with this defense that bent, that bent, that bent. But eventually they make that big play and they get they get the turnover. That's one where I, I think maybe in a year or two, we don't see Lanning make this mistake as a coach where it's let's be smart about it. The numbers say go for it here, but let's let's punt it and be a little conservative here. And that that onside kick too, 
I was fine with it at first, but when you heard Lanning post game say the defender that they were keying on moved and they still did it anyway and was not in the position that they were playing, they were prepping for all week and they still decided to go for it, that's where you're pressing your luck and that's where you get burned is, hey, even though he's not there, let's still do this. And that led to three points as well. And they lost by three. So I, I think coaching mistakes, I think Dan Lanning's been a phenomenal coach. We've seen and we've seen huge growth of improvement. And I hope he stays aggressive. I hope this offensive staff stays aggressive. But this is a game, unfortunately, the coaching decisions and key moments open the door for Washington and ultimately Washington to win this game, in my opinion, at least. You know, I, and I think you make fair points. And I, and I guess just back to the fourth down, I'll say my last thoughts here before we go on to the defense. Because I do think we need to spend quite a bit of time there. But uh, there's not – these are really hard decisions, in part because of what we'd seen from the Oregon defense all game of – I think Lanning just had to feel like, gosh, we give them the ball back. This is probably not going to go great. And if we can keep the possession, we can go down, we can control the clock, we can reestablish the lead. We have we give ourselves the best chance. Maybe we maybe we run the clock all the way out, settle for a late field goal as the clock is basically expiring and, and manage the clock perfectly. It didn't work. And I I I I I, I think the biggest thing that I, I have an issue with was just what kind of what Matt outlined a little bit of was just like the personnel is not ideal. Ty Thompson on the field is, right. is not ideal. There's just, there's not, I had very little confidence they were going to be able to move the ball when we saw Bo was still in the tent. And so it's hard though, because I also feel very, had very little confidence in the defense getting a stop. And so there's just not a whole lot of confidence in either outcome. What are you going to do? It's right. Really difficult. And so you, you ride with what's been performing the best, which is the offense, which is unfortunately missing key pieces. And to the defense, like, this was a really hard game for this defense. Like we knew this was a bad matchup going in. We talked about it all week. We were, we were very concerned about Oregon's ability to stop the pass. And frankly, it went about the way we thought. Penix threw for 408 yards. Washington was on the move all game. I think Washington probably ran the ball better than yeah, we they expected. ran it better than we anticipated for sure. They only had they only had 114 yards on the ground. It's so not huge figures, but no, 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 but. This five and a half, five point two yards per carry. I think that was more than what we were anticipating. Well, the issue though for me was what what did we say was going to be the blueprint? Was the bend but don't break defense? Was yes. forcing them to go down the field slowly. Mm -hmm. You can't give up two sixty plus yard touchdowns, and you especially can't give up. And those are, by the way, their last two touchdowns of the game. And you can't give up a sixty two yard touchdown with three minutes to go, in a game like that where the only thing you really can you have to avoid you just want to do what you did the last time out which is keep everything in front of you and maybe at the end you kind of get lucky and that's kind of what happened the drive before we should note before when they went 99 yards on the field they extended the drive ends up resulting in an interception by bossa oregon has all this momentum we've kind of been all through that but i think the thing that's tough here is this is now three touchdowns of 62 yards or longer that were basically given up by the same player, and that's Bennett Williams, which is which is really tough because Bennett's one of my favorite guys in the team. Everybody, I think everybody really likes Bennett. 
He's a senior leader. He's undoubtedly one of the guys you turn to. But at a certain point, you just kind of wonder, like, are there alternatives that are better? Do you start seeking it out? Because he said last week it was a coverage bust against Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we had thought it was maybe on Steve Stevens or maybe Christian Gonzalez. The TV telecast thought it was on Gonzalez. Gonzalez. I was pretty sure it wasn't because it was it looked like a zone bust. Um, and Gonzalez was, was probably the underneath guy. But these two today were really tough. And the second one where he, I think – a lot of credit to Michael Penix because it's a really good ball. Unbelievable and throw. And it's put in the perfect spot. And But Bennett takes a terrible angle on it and takes himself out of the play and basically gives up the touchdown. Like he could pick, he could take that play a couple of different ways. He tries to make a play on it and maybe potentially end the game with interception, right, if he's a step mm-hmm. or so sooner. Instead, he whiffs and there goes Taj White, Taj Davis, Taj Davis. Davis running down the sideline for the touchdown. And it's just agonizing. I think everybody in the stadium was stunned that this was what was happening because all the momentum was on Oregon's side just before that. And, again, I think the hard part is this is Bennett's final go-around. He's played really well in a lot of circumstances, but he was the player who was in man coverage on the first one, and he was on the zone coverage and just missed the jump on the second. And that's now, like I said, three touchdowns in two games – that were really long, back-breaking touchdowns. I know the Colorado game doesn't really matter. They end up winning. It's an 80-yard touchdown. But that's a precursor almost to this. And you just kind of wonder, like, there's a lot of things to fix defensively. I think you were hoping 10, 11 games into the season, one of them wasn't going to be your sixth-year senior safety, just getting roasted in coverage on long pass plays. Again, by a really good offense, a couple times by great throws. But right. It's, it's a tough situation. I don't think there's really an answer. I don't know who you turn to necessarily. But I also feel like, gosh, she's got to get this figured out. Um, I mean, I don't think there's another pass offense Oregon will face unless they get USC in the championship game that can really roast them quite like this one. But if he's out there on the field and the defense is seeing kind of what he's been doing these last couple of weeks, you know they're going to target him. And that's that's where you mm-hmm. kind of potentially run into trouble. And, and again, it's hard because I'm a huge Bennett Williams fan. I think he's a, a great dude. I think he's a really good player in a lot of aspects. But it's been really tough sledding these last couple of weeks. It has been. It's um, sad to see Bennett be you know the basically the problem on on these big old pass plays that Colorado and Washington put out. But yeah, I mean the 62 yarder to. Um, you know, down the sideline to basically, you know, put Washington ahead for good. That's just, it's just a poor play on the ball. I think, you know, Bennett admitted that later on uh, in a post-game interview. Like, he, he he attempted to play on the ball, which I don't I don't really blame him for. That's a potential interception, at least a tip pass. Um, you just, you, you rewatch it, and we and we did with James Kripa, the Oregonian. Um, he just, he takes a terrible route to the ball, which is the ultimate decision-making uh, issue there. And you know, Bennett said that he got a good jump on it and it just it just wasn't the right route. And, you know, again, credit to Michael Penix, who just absolutely balled today. Just throws, you know, like watching film, you know, threw, threw a great deep ball, but uh, seeing it in person and going against Oregon's defense, it was just tremendous. Um, really good quarterback matchup today, or at least offensive matchup. But um, Oregon's defense, we have talked about multiple times this season. I have talked about it multiple times this season. Like, hey, heads up, this is a bad matchup. Um, two of those other times where I where I vented about it, it didn't come true. 
this time was the one I took the easiest, and it, it, it came true. This was a miserable matchup for Oregon's defense. They could not get a pass rush. They could not get a stop to save their lives. Um, and it started from the very beginning. It's a third and 14 on the very first drive of the game. Mace Funa, I believe it was, had a free shot on Penix. He twirls out, gets a first down, 16-yard run. Then it's a third and 11 later on in the drive, another opportunity for Oregon to seize this. And, I, I, you know, they pick up another 13, 14 yards, get a first down, and they run a, a, a they have a touchdown run later on in the drive. Um, you know, if, when they sold to the pass, Washington would run it, and they would ran it pretty effectively, like we just went through, over five yards of carry. When they tried to play straight up, I'd, Washington just picked them apart, like we talked about pregame, where it's almost like an air raid where they will use their passing game as a substitute for their running game, which isn't that great. And they just, you know, they, they picked Oregon's secondary apart. And all the issues that we had seen against Washington State a long time ago and in that game and just the medium routes and uh, sometimes open field tackling against Washington, but mostly against the Cougars, um, they just all came to fruition again today. Even against Colorado and Cal with the backup quarterback, just issues that you saw in the passing game were um, – really brought to life today by Michael Penix and, and, you know, his talented cast of wide receivers. Um, just a lot of things to positive. The side is that there's a lot of things Oregon, Oregon's defense can work on after looking through the tape this week, but um, you know, week 11 into the season and these issues that were a week three or four issue are still here. So I'm not, not exactly convinced that these will be going away anytime soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, they're, they're not. I mean, it's you have two games left in the regular season. This is what the Oregon defense is. And, you know, there's really not going to be any remedies for this until the offseason when the only remedy to fix an issue is different players. And at this point in the year, because Oregon has cycled through its rotation in the secondary time and time again, and the, the problem continues. And that sounds harsh and mean. And I, like Eric said, I think Bennett Williams is probably one of my favorite guys on this team. I thanked him after the, the game was over to, to, to come out and speak to us because, hey, that often doesn't happen when players don't perform well and lose. You know, sometimes I, I get it. You don't want to come talk to us. And he went out there and I think he spoke 
the longest of anyone, including Dan Lanning, and spoke the longest about it and owned it. Um, but the reality is Oregon has tried time and time again, different combinations, and the issues still continue to pop up. And it, it's it's going to be an off-season focus at this point. It's not something that Oregon can fix in a short period of time. And I don't think it really matters um, who Oregon plays. It's become very clear that Colorado moved the, you know, moved the ball on third down. Uh, Cal has some success doing the same thing. So while Utah and Oregon State are two teams who don't necessarily play a pass offense like UW does, I still think it's going to be an issue. I still think it's going to be something that's going to be much of a concern for Oregon in the secondary moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's they, – they, uh, they're not good on third down, period. I mean, you can pull up – I'm pulling up the game log here. Uh, the last six opponents have all converted 45% or better on third down, five, uh, five of those six, 50% or better. It's just mm-hmm. a problem. It's bad. It's bad all season. They're one of the worst in the country. Um, and you just kind of wonder, <laughs> like, what what does the offseason hold in terms of remedying this as well? I, mean, I don't want to get too big picture here because we should focus on this game. There's a lot of things to deal with in the here and now. But Christian Gonzalez is going to be gone. That's your best corner. And you, without him, if he wasn't on this roster, things would be even worse. And they're going to lose a lot of players at safety this offseason they're going to lose a couple of linebackers probably you're going to lose some of your better pass rushers like it's going to be very interesting to see what this offseason holds from there and i don't you know i don't even want to go too far down that rabbit hole i think we should instead focus on the injury stuff from today um and then maybe we can end it with some just some of the positives because there were some really impressive things that happened offensively i think the special teams were actually not terrible besides some of the kickoffs, but they had some good returns, which was nice to see. They were fine in coverage deep. They, oh, uh, man. I forgot and, about the kickoffs. Yeah, Andrew Boyle had a rough <laughs> day, which was which was tough. Um, no, but like, so Bo Nix, I, I think this is a, a storyline that doesn't just stick for the day. Like, this is, a, this is a, now a long-term-ish problem because what has made Bo so great this whole season is his ability to be a dual-threat quarterback, to run the football. And you can see it on that last drive. Even if he's healthy and available against Utah, which I don't know. I mean, Dan said that they're going to reevaluate and kind of get a better feel for how he's doing after the game. He was cleared by the medical staff to go in at that in that last drive, so it's not like they skirted any rules. They said he was okay to go. But you wonder, is, he, is that going to be the case later this week? Probably will. I bet you he'll play against Utah. I bet you'll play against Oregon State. I bet you'll play these games. My concern now is, can he continue to run the way he has? He did not look comfortable mm-hmm. trying to do so in this game. And, and they, the once, I think the one sack he took all day was on that last drive right. um, where he just couldn't, couldn't get out of the pocket. He couldn't move. One of the things that like we talked about it, it's a combination of a great offensive line, which, again, is now down two players. It's a combination of a quarterback who's been really adept at kind of understanding ways to maneuver in the pocket and you take away a little bit of that agility maybe some of that quickness some of that speed and his ability just to be a runner and you now have a totally different Bo Nix and so that's my concern is how much of a dual threat guy is he and with in terms of actually designed runs but also in terms of scrambling and making plays with his feet and then the third component of that is is can he still get out of those pressure situations I mean uh, Utah and, and Oregon State 
defensively will put pressure on Oregon, especially if Forsyth's out, especially if Walker is out. We don't know exactly what's going on either of those guys. But I just think you have to wonder here what this offense is going to look like now if you have a little bit of a gimpy bonix, if you don't have Ryan Walk, and I don't know exactly what his situation is. He also had a right ankle injury but never returned. Forsyth mm-hmm. was the very last drive, and he's been dealing with, I think, a shoulder back issue for the last couple of weeks. Um, you just kind of have to wonder exactly what the circumstances are going to be now in terms of this offense. And I think now I'm probably being – Maybe maybe a little bit of like uh, fear mongering, a little bit of, of of quote unquote bedwetting, if you will, in terms of just being you know overly concerned. But I do think that these are questions you have to ask after this game: is of what exactly are you going to be able to get out of Onyx going forward? How, is this offense hampered at all by some key offensive linemen? I mean, these are longtime starters too and veterans, right. and, and play such a big role in terms of. I mean, how many times have we talked about? not just Bo Nick's ability to make checks, but Alex Forsyth's ability to kind of make decisions with, with kind of the coverage or the, the protections they're in and the way that they're, um, you know, reading the defense is like th- that has been a two man, three man job and has not just been Bo Nick's. There's been other people involved. And if he misses an extended period of time and if Ryan Walk is backup is that how adept is Jackson Powers Johnson? So there's just a lot of things to kind of think through here from an injury perspective. Chase Coda did not play in this game. Uh, Stephen Jones, who, by the way, would be really valuable if he could come back if Ryan Walk is out because he was the right. season starting right guard. He was not in uniform today. Um, if they get him back next week against Utah and he's able to go and, and be productive, that would be a huge win in terms of they could have a, a, a direct replacement for a Ryan Walk who you wonder if he'll be available. Um, I mean, if he sprained his right ankle bad enough to keep him out of the game, I think it's questionable if he plays next week. So, um, Julio Florence didn't play in this game. There's several guys that weren't available here that were going to be, as you, as Jared and I were talking there, going into Tuesday's practice when we're out there taking attendance. There's going to be a lot of guys to be keeping an eye on. Um, Oregon has been so healthy for most of the season, um, but they're now dealing with some serious injuries. And I think the thing with Knicks is, is a really big storyline for us to track this week um, and just to see where he's at. And, again, it was notable. Um, Knicks has spoken after every game this season. You know, yep. obviously after the eight wins, after the loss in Georgia, he didn't speak this game after this game. And there's kind of a, an unwritten-ish rule that Oregon doesn't make injured players available. And there's no like, right, I say it's unwritten because there's not like any like, well, if he returned to the game, he can come out and talk. So I don't know what the implication of that is. I just kind of stored that away. of like, okay, kind of interesting. He didn't yep. come out and talk. Yeah. Bo's been somebody who has – always been very candid and I've always appreciated his ability to, to, to kind of, as, as we mentioned with Bennett, kind of take things on uh, head on. Uh, I just thought it was notable. He did make an appearance there. Uh, wonder how he's doing. And, and again, the, the season here is now in a really interesting spot because we are now in a spot where Oregon, if they drop another game, potentially misses out on even playing in a conference championship game. Um, and we can have to get into some of the tiebreaker stuff. I don't want to get try to go too far down. I've got something for a later podcast in the week, but like things get very real. Uh, it reminds me really a lot fast. of these last. It reminds me a lot of last, last year, right? Where it's like, okay, you're in the college football playoff hunt, and then suddenly you look up and go, "Yikes! Can they make a Rose Bowl still? Will they make a Rose Bowl still? Will they make the conference championship?" I still think the answer to both those things could very much be yes. I still have a lot of confidence in this team if it plays at its best, but. With an injured quarterback with some questions on defense, I think there's certainly some things that make you kind of go like, ah, we'll see. I think it's, yeah, more, more than reasonable to bring up all of those offensive expectations, Eric. You know, losing Walk and Forsyth, 
again, we have no idea what that what that timeline is. If they're significantly hurt, if it's just you know they left the game and didn't come back, um, th- that's those are huge pieces. And for all the reasons that you went through, all the checks, all the balances, the the experience that these guys bring to the offensive line, I think Oregon has plenty of dudes who are capable of filling in and, and becoming a talented guy and with with more reps, learning more about the offensive line. But um, yeah, like Oregon had been healthy offensive line except for like that one week in the very beginning of the season where guys just kind of mysteriously disappeared and then came back into practice they've been healthy this entire time and today was a major blow uh, it seemed like a lot of important players at points during this game were hurt um you have you know, the offensive line you have nicks you have dante thornton who had a nice touchdown reception but then at one point was out for a while but came in back uh like on the final two drives of the game he was back um, just two quick injury notes, Taki Taimani and DJ Johnson were obviously full go and they you know, both suited up and dressed and all that good stuff, play the game, um, looked fine and really seemed like there was an obvious ailment to them both. But yeah, the injury bug, um, it really hadn't caught on for a long time. I don't know if it has caught on or anything like that. We'll, we'll see, like Eric mentioned at uh, Tuesday's practice when we're taking attendance to see if the bug is there, but um, Stephen Jones potentially getting getting back would be a major lift. Um, again, starting right guard this season has been out since that Eastern Washington game. Um, that would be a huge lift, especially if Ryan Watt can't go. Um, I think Jackson Powers Johnson is more than a suitable center in case Alex Forsyth can't go. But losing both Forsyth and Walk is a huge difference. And then Nick's ability to run, like Eric broke down, um, especially against his Utah front, who – I think honestly, it, it's, a, it's a better it's a better front than than Washington's front. It's obviously, when with Oregon running for over 300 yards against them, um, that's when you want your experienced offensive lineman in there, your best offensive lineman in there. So I think that's a storyline to watch for the rest of this week. I, you look at what's next for Oregon. I mean, all, all it's easy to be a tight knit group. Dan Lanning said this is a tight knit group. He has faith in the team and. I believe him in that, but it's easy to be a good leader. It's easy to be a tight knit group in a locker room when winning football games happens every single week. And that foundation, those core values, those pillars of the program that Dan Lanning has installed into this program are going to be tested in the next 24 to 48 to 54 hours uh, for Oregon football. You know, Bennett Williams, one of the last things he said was he felt like maybe this team has had, had became a little relaxed over the last couple of weeks over what was happening in games because they were winning. And how Oregon moves forward now is going to really set the stage because, hey, we saw in, what was it, 20... 19 when Oregon went to Arizona state in November and they lost and it was a bad showing an embarrassing road loss. And that team got knocked out of the college football playoff the second to last week of the season. And the following week they came home, they played Oregon state and I'm pretty certain they pretty, they put a pretty big beat down on Oregon state. It it required Brady breeze to make a late play in the game, but it was a blowout until like very late in the fourth quarter when Oregon state got some really crazy connections to make it reasonable. Um, we saw last season 
Oregon go to Utah and they get destroyed in Salt Lake City. And then they come home at Austin Stadium. They play Oregon State and they destroy the Beavers. I'll be real curious to see what this team is like next week, what this team is like moving forward. Um, I, I, I think some of the leadership last season, and it started at the top with the head coach and Mario Cristobal, was a little shallow because for whatever reason, I, I think this year's team is is a better unit from a tight-knit perspective. I think guys like each other a little bit more. I think the head coach's leadership down the stretch – this season has been better under than under Lanning, but that's all talk until something really big from an adversity standpoint hits and it's arrived now. And I'll be curious to see what they look like next week against Utah, a team that will come in certainly confident that they could beat Oregon, but they too are beat up. They looked really good today against Stanford. They put up a huge number of points, but this is a winnable game for Oregon. And do they do they treat it as such and are locked in on everything that they need to be during the week, or does some of that taking for granted type stuff? Hey, we're better than them, you know, we'll be fine. Does that creep back up again? And does a, a does a second loss pop up, which eliminates them from the rose from the Rose Bowl contention from the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, no, and I think you know if you want to be glass half full, you say. They were tested week one against Georgia, and look at the response. Eight really impressive weeks. We're only having this conversation about these big picture things because of how they responded to a, to some real tough adversity first week of the season. Very few teams in the country are faced with that kind of adversity to start a year. Not only do you lose, but you get absolutely embarrassed, and you get written off. A lot of people, including this podcast, question kind of like can they really make a run like this i mean we tried to be optimistic i think we were and i think we ended up being right for kind of sticking with it and saying hey what this team was on this saturday in september in atlanta isn't who this team should be in november and we were right right um and they've and they really have proved their resolve to get here this is another this is another situation where we see what this team has and um you know They've, I think previous teams have shown kind of mixed results. Like, I think if we want to look at 2019 versus 2021 and the way those teams played out, and obviously that, I don't know how much of that really matters with this team. A lot of new players, new coaching staffs, obviously. But in 19, they won out, end up winning a Rose Bowl, one of the better seasons in recent memory for Oregon. 2021, get blasted in the conference championship game, get blasted by Oklahoma. It's a real what-if season. It's kind of looked at as a disappointing season because you had the high of the Ohio State game. You had the high of then making a run and looking like you had a chance to make a playoff run. But then there's the lows that ended that season, which really kind of just sort of made it hard to really appreciate it for what the season really was because of those highs. This year, what's the season going to be, right? What, what this season is remembered at is going to be determined by these next couple of weeks and it's going to be determined by what happens in postseason play and i think i have optimism that they can win both these games that they can still go play in the college sorry in the in the pac championship game and that they can still win a conference championship and go win a rose bowl i don't think any of that like i'm not going to be stunned at all if uh you know first day of january we're recording a podcast oregon's won four straight games they've won a rose bowl 
Bo Nix and Dan Laning are doing post-game interviews and talking about what a great season it was, what's the future, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no guarantee of that. And after a game like this, and especially some of the injury stuff, some of the, con the continual defensive shortcomings, certainly calls into question exactly what this year is going to be. And that's what the future, and that's what's going to make this kind of, that's what makes, by the way, college football really fun is the emotional roller coaster of a weekend like this of Oregon goes in everybody's confident they win the game the sense is hey this team is set to maybe play in the college football playoff think of how the expectations change just like that in college football and now we get to see what this team is made of we get to see how this year will be remembered and if i was betting i would bet that this is going to be a positive close to the season and that they're going to win some of these games maybe they don't make the rose bowl and don't win the rose bowl but I think they're going to at least play for a conference championship. I don't think they're totally out if they lose to Utah entirely because things could get really wonky. If UCLA, who I think is losing right now. They lost. Did they lose to Arizona? They lost, now. So UCLA could beat USC, which would then give us this weird tiebreaker with USC, oh, UCLA, and Oregon and Washington now potentially if they were to yep. lose to Utah next week. So anyway, there's all this weird funky stuff. I don't even want to try to figure out the tiebreakers, but – I think this is going to – I think we're going to feel – I think this season's going to end differently than last season. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean a Rose Bowl win, but I think this team's going to answer the call. I'm, I'm, I'm confident of that. But we'll see. And that's what makes college sports so fun is, is you don't know. And there are two really tough games on the schedule in the regular season. There's a conference championship game, which regardless – if Oregon is in it, will be against a really challenging opponent. And almost regardless of any of these outcomes, Oregon's going to play in a bowl game probably against a pretty decent opponent um, and I think there's going to be a lot of fun football to be played down the stretch. I think there's plenty of reason to be glass half full. I know, strange coming from me. But this you know, this Oregon team today, it took a lot of strange things for them to get into that kind of position that they were in. And, you know, Matt made the point earlier about them flying too close to the sun and finally getting bit, which did happen. But, you know, there were some moments where, like, Nix's fumble where at the goal line. Like, that, I know that they had the fancy, the swinging gate where they came back over, but that's a play that they practice all the time. That, that's not nothing new. I mean, they've shown that look three straight games now, at least two straight games with the swinging gate, and it's just a missed fumble. And then, you know, interestingly enough, like Eric pointed out during the game to me, I don't think they went back to that. Um, but this team is it, – it just feels – yeah, it feels different. Just like you guys mentioned, uh, the coaching staff is just a, a different kind of breed when it comes to this stuff. You know, the the fact that Oregon, for the for the most part, for the duration of the season, has had issues on one side of the ball, and then next week we'll come back and seem to improve it and improve it over the long run. And yeah, there might be a hiccup along the way, but from considering from where they came from in the beginning of the season, you know, they've been making steady improvement towards those issues on the field. Um, and I don't really think we saw that with the last coaching staff. I think that the, when there were issues, we knew that they were very prevalent issues. We knew that these would probably become bigger issues down the line once they played some real competition. And with this staff, you kind of had some potential, you know, the glass half full perspective that, you know, these are some pretty pertinent issues with this team, but there is a potential that. Maybe they figure something out. Maybe they do review the film, and maybe they do finally find something out, which wasn't the case in their past defense today. But it's a different kind of perspective from this team. But as both of you guys mentioned, the fall from grace can happen very fast. 
and it'll be really important to see what this team looks like in the next 24, 48 hours. Um, what that, what Dan sounds like on Monday, what his perspective is. And obviously he's going to give us the, you know, the glass is always half full, but um, it'll be interesting just to hear his quotes about how the team has responded um, and see how the team responds on Tuesday and Wednesday when we're at practice. And I know we don't get to see a lot, but it does give us some sort of perspective on where the team's heads are currently at. Um, it's an opportunity for Oregon to get back on the right foot and continue this, this season and continue this, this, you know, it's a really good season. They have a lot of games coming up. Utah and Oregon State are not going to be easy, and especially now that this blueprint has been laid out by Washington. Um, but again, this is an opportunity for Oregon to reassess of where they are. And sure, they probably weren't a college football playoff team this year, but Rose Bowl berth sounds pretty darn good to me. I think that would be pretty darn good for the team. But that all comes from if they be if they win out these next two games and whatever on God's beautiful green earth the tiebreakers are, because I'm sure that's going to be some sort of discussion. And I'm glad Eric broke it down by saying I don't want to do it because I'm in the same boat. Um, but there's some opportunity here, and I think there's reason. I think personally, I think there's reasonable expectations for why you should look at this as from a glass half full perspective, even though it seems pretty empty after a night like tonight. 37-34, Washington, the rivalry is back. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. We'll be back on Monday with the mailbag. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.